You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Good morning to all of you. It's good to see you. We began a series a few weeks ago called Restore to Me, what it looks like to start over in our lives. And let me just ask you the question I've been asking for the last two weeks. What is it in your life that needs to be restored? What What's broken that needs to be fixed? What's fractured in your life that, that needs healing? And are you at a place in your life now where you're, you're desperate for that restoration? You desire for God to make all things new in your life. What, what needs to be restored in you and for you? Maybe your joy needs to be restored, freedom, purity, Maybe a consistent, dynamic walk with Jesus needs to be restored in your life. Maybe your marriage needs restoration. Or maybe there's a relationship that's broken, a relationship that's fractured with with a friend or a parent or a child. And you long for the Lord to restore these things, to, to fix what is broken. Maybe you need some grace restored in your life or some patience restored in your life or some discipline restored in your life or some self-control restored in your life. What needs to be restored in you? And again, are you at that place even this morning that you're thinking, God, I, I want all things to be made new. What was broken from my past, God, would you heal today? The wounds in my life, God, would you heal those things today? Would you restore unto me? Would you fix what's broken? So two weeks ago, we began this thought of starting over and restoration and asking God to restore things to us. The very first week we looked at this thought, really, restoration begins with brokenness over our flaws in light of the holiness of God. So restoration begins with with brokenness. And let me just be very honest. It's not a very happy place to begin, being broken. But let me say this in love. You will never see restoration unless you experience brokenness over flaws or sins in your life. Especially in in view of the holiness of God. Not not in light of the people who are around you every week. And and not in view of other people who are broken. But in, in view of, in light of God's perfect just majesty in light of his holiness and his perfection. We've got to be broken over the things that had broken us. We need to be broken over the things that break the heart of God. Now let me say this with a lot of love in my heart and there's a lot of love for you in my heart. You really don't want to be restored if you don't want to be broken. Brokenness is the launching pad for restoration. First, we must be broken over the things that we have caused, things that we have done, because that fractured relationship, there's probably at least a percentage of it that you own. That, that lack of joy, that, that lack of freedom, that lack of purity, certainly I had something to do with that. Certainly you had something to do with that. And so we must be broken over the things that we have broken. The second thing that we looked at last week was to to grieve over sin, but then to move forward in God's grace. 
For God's grace always flows to a place of repentance. God loves a repentant heart. God loves a contrite heart. God loves a broken spirit. The psalmist said he will not despise, he will not cast out someone who has a broken heart, someone who's broken over their sin, someone who's contrite. And so it begins with this understanding of of grieving over our, our sin, but then moving forward in the grace of God. So maybe I could simplify it and put it this way. Weep and then wipe your face and move forward in the grace of God. This is the the thought of repentance, a a word we just don't hear much anymore from the mouths of pulpits, from the mouths of conferences and preachers. Repentance, but God's grace always flows to the place of repentance. And this morning, here's the third thing that I would want to share with you about restoration. If you need something restored in your life, you retain restoration by believing in and growing in the truth that Christ is in you. So some of you, because I've gotten probably more emails in the last two weeks of being here than any other two-week window in the six and a half years I've been here, and I've loved these emails because I've been hearing from you some things that God is restoring in your life. And I know that these emails are confidential and they're, they're very personal to you, so I promise you I've not forwarded them on to anybody, but man, I want to. Because some of the stories I'm hearing of restoration of some marriages that are being repaired of some restorations between parents and and kids. A lot of people are talking about restoration and God fixing some things that have been broken for a long time with addictions and and habits and and strongholds. So kind of the question is, once once you're broken and once you repent and now you're moving forward in the grace of God, like how do you maintain or retain that restoration? How do you walk in that victory that grace has provided for you? It begins with this belief in, this knowledge of this great truth that Christ, Christian, listen, Christ is in you. So with your copy of God's word, let's go together to the book of Galatians, the New Testament. Let's go to Galatians chapter two. Relatively new to church, it's nine books into the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and Galatians. Let's go to Galatians chapter 2. I encourage you to bring a copy of God's Word with you on Sunday or to go to your smartphone if you can do that without being distracted. I cannot. Or you're welcome to look on the screen behind me if you want to. Galatians chapter 2. Let's go to verse 19. Let me read this passage, then we'll come back and revisit. Just, Just three verses this morning. Galatians chapter two, verses 19, 20, and 21. Let me start in verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Let's look at verse 19 again. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. What Paul is saying here is I I died to the impossible task of trying to live in my own righteousness. Paul's saying, I couldn't do it. I could not let my works show for themselves how righteous I am because my works weren't righteous enough. 
Paul is saying here, I could not be good enough. I could not be perfect enough. I just could not do it. So I died to the law when I realized that I don't have what it takes. And let me tell you, Highland family, that's a humbling place to arrive when you realize I don't have what it takes. Paul on a piece of paper had what it, had what it took. Smart, brilliant, knew the Old Testament, pious, righteous, the best he could be. But he's saying here it wasn't good enough. I, I did not have what it, what it takes. And so I moved on, Paul said, listen, I moved on from what I could not do to what Christ had already done on the cross. Now, if you'll allow me, let me skip verse 20 and come back to it. So go back to verse 21 very quickly. Verse 21, I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law, if I could accomplish righteousness on my own just by following all these rules and all these regulations, then Christ died for no purpose. Here is what Paul is saying. I cling to grace. I hold on to grace. I am bulldogging grace. My life has sunk into grace and I am not letting go. He said, if I could push aside grace and be in right standing with God in my own merits, by my own righteousness, by my own works, Paul says something here that's, that's deliberately shocking. Then he says, the cross where Jesus hung and bled out was for nothing. His words are purposely unsettling. If I could get into a relationship with God just by doing things, Paul said, then there was no need for Jesus to hang on a cross. But I can't. I can't be perfect. I cannot be good enough. I cannot do this, but Christ has done this. Verse 20. One of my favorites, maybe yours as well. One of the more well-known, profound, weighty, (laughs) consequential scriptures in all the New Testament. Galatians chapter two, verse 20. For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer even I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me, who gave himself for me. Consider this with me, daughters and sons of God. Christian, You live the traded life. You live the traded life. You want to write this down somewhere. Christian, you live the traded life. Here's the first thing I want you to see. Jesus humbled himself so that you would be lifted up. You see, it's a traded life. It's no longer I who lives. It's not you, Christian, who lives anymore, but now it's Christ who lives in us. And so we live this traded life. And here's the first trade we see. Jesus humbled himself so that we could be lifted up. He came down from heaven so we could be lifted up to heaven. He came down from heaven so that you and I could be seated in heavenly places with Christ. What a trade. Second thing I want you to see this traded life that you and I live, Jesus became the servant so you would be the served. Listen to this. Jesus became the servant. The gospel writers say this, especially the gospel writer Mark. Jesus became the servant of all so that we could be served. Christian, you are served by the grace of Jesus. You are served by the compassion of Jesus. You are served by by the love of Jesus. You are served primarily in the highest way by the sacrifice of Jesus. What a trade. Christian, we live this traded life. Jesus died, thirdly, so you would live. 
You see, his cross opened up for us a new and living way. It was a path of grace that brought us to the Father. That this is the traded life that we live. Jesus died so that you would live. His blood, it speaks a better word for us. So Christian, you are purchased by the blood of Christ and that blood purchased for you your forgiveness. You are bought by the blood of Christ and that blood bought for you your eternity with Jesus. What a trade. How about this? Jesus descended into hell so you wouldn't have to. On the weekend of his crucifixion, on the weekend of his death, Christ descended into hell and took the keys from death. Declared his victory over death. Christ descended into hell so his people would not have to. What a trade. Christian, we live the traded life and in this traded life, don't miss this in Galatians chapter two, verse 20, Christ now is in us. Such are we in the sight of God as is the son of God himself. I'll repeat that one for you. Such are we in the sight of God as is the son of God himself. Christ in us, we live this traded life. Here's the fifth thing I want you to see. Jesus left so you would have power. That might be surprising to you. This is a trade as well. Jesus left so that you and I could live in power. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 16, I'm leaving now, but I must leave for the comforter, for the Holy Spirit to come. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. My spirit, the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit will come and will live in you. The Holy Spirit will be with you. The Holy Spirit will give power to you. So when Jesus left, here's the traded life. Jesus left so that we could have power. So Jesus pulls his disciples aside and says, I'm, I'm leaving now, but I've got to leave because if I don't leave, the Holy Spirit will not come. But now that I'm about to leave, the Holy Spirit is going to come. Jesus understood the disciples were going to live the most powerless life without the Spirit of Christ in them. The disciples would be able to accomplish nothing, that they would not be able to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. And listen, neither can we. Neither can we. So this morning, let's just kind of think about this question. What's the resume of the Holy Spirit? Like, what has he done? And what does he do? It has been unbelievably fun and fascinating and distracting for me to watch Coach Aranda put together his football coaching team. I mean, talk about a resume of, of people. The great Sean Bell. Joey coming back, Wetzel, Ron Roberts, like an incredibly defensive-minded coach, Munoz, um, Munoz from, from LSU, Dennis Meatball Johnson from LSU. I, I think if Meatball was the nickname given to me, I can't tell if I'd be excited about, about that or need to cut back on my carbs a whole lot, but Dennis Meatball Johnson, he's, he's coming. Austin Thompson is coming from Texas A&M. Our offensive coordinator, 
Larry Fedora coming from UT, by the way, being a coach at North Carolina. I look at the resumes of, of all these coaches. Like that's, that's unbelievable what these guys have all accomplished. Matt Rule is, is Obi-Wan Kenobi. The, the, the Darth Panthers take him and the force just rises up even more after he's gone here, here at Baylor. It's just so fun and honestly distracting. I've been working on my, on my sermon all week and every 45 seconds, I'm going over to Twitter to see the new coach that we have on the staff. But what about the resume of the Holy Spirit? What has he done? What has he accomplished? What is he doing? What has he been doing for the last 2,000 years in the lives of the people of God? Let me tell you this. If you're a Christian, if you have Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. Now, let me tell you who you've got. Let me tell you what you have in the Holy Spirit. All five of these things on the screen behind me. You have the source of all truth, John 16, 13. You have the author of Scripture, Second Peter chapter one, verse 21, you have the convictor of sin. John chapter 16, verse eight, you have the provider of comfort. John chapter 14, verse 26, you have the promoter of salvation. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse 13. That's quite a resume. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. Now don't, don't lose me. Galatians 2.20 is saying the same thing. This is the Christ in you. The Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit of God is in you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have put your trust, your faith, your life in the life of Jesus Christ and you believe in his death and his resurrection, you have been given the Holy Spirit and here's what you have. Now, why why would this be so important to restoration? Just look at that list one more time on the screen behind me. You can probably begin to see why all of these things are so important for the needed restoration in your life and how you stay in that restoration, how you stay in that victory, how you stay in that healing that God has provided. Let me just show this to you. If the Holy Spirit's the source of all truth, then he's always gonna give you the baseline on what is true. And he'll always give you the standard of what is truth. So if there's something in your life that needs to be restored, purity, freedom, a restored, consistent walk with Jesus, a marriage restored, a family restored. You need to know that the Holy Spirit, the Christ in you, he is the source of all truth. He will always give you the baseline of what truth is. And if you're walking in and toward restoration, hear me, friend, you're gonna need truth because we have relied too much on our emotions. And while they are real, they cannot be in charge of our lives. But truth, that, that, can, that can steer our lives. That can be the operation in our lives that moves us forward. So the Holy Spirit, when it comes to restoration, he's the source of all truth. Here's the second thing. He's the author of scripture. In other words, if you're moving toward restoration, you're moving toward healing, you're moving toward freedom, you're moving toward joy, it's the role of the Holy Spirit to convey to you God's word, to constantly remind you of the word of God, that the Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture. Therefore, as you're walking in restoration, the Holy Spirit, the Christ in you, is going to constantly refer you back to God's Word. So the Spirit of the Lord is the conveyor of God's heart to us in His Word. The third one, you're probably not going to like this about Him. He's the convictor of sin. He will constantly point out to you and to me, wow, to me, all the things in our lives that don't look like Jesus. He'll constantly be pointing out to us, and let me tell you this experientially, he can be pretty aggressive. 
and shining light in the darkest places of your life. But not to condemn you, but to convict you. You see, condemnation brings shame. Conviction brings change. And the Holy Spirit constantly wants to open up the the, the dark closets in your heart and your life and shine his brilliant light into there and pointing out our sin and lighting up our darkness and lighting up our closets. He wants to convict us of sin so that we might change, so that we might live in restoration. Fourth thing, he's a provider of comfort. And I love that number four is right after number three because after the conviction, we're gonna need the comfort. And the Holy Spirit comes in and listen, he powerfully comforts you and he personally comforts you. So the Holy Spirit will come and will be the provider of, of all comfort. Here's the fifth thing. The Holy Spirit also will promote Salvation will continue to point us back to the cross of Christ, will continue to point us to grace, will continue to point us to the rescue of Jesus in your life. So you see why all these things are so important. If you're gonna retain that restoration, maintain that victory, live in that holiness, walk in that purity, we're gonna need to grow in and understand that Christ is in us. So how do we live in the power of the Holy Spirit? You're in Galatians chapter two. Would you just go about five pages to the right and look at Ephesians chapter five with me? I mean, you're really close. Just one book over, a few chapters over. Ephesians chapter five, look at verse 18. How do we live then in the power of the Holy Spirit? Ephesians five eighteen tells us. Verse 18, chapter five. And do not get drunk with wine. Kind of interesting way to start that off. Do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery which really, it means it's, it's foolish. And, and the, the base word there in Greek means it's stupid. It's just, I know that sounds like I came from Waco. It's stupid. It's just stupid. It is stupidity to, to be, allow your life to, to be, be drunk with, with wine. For that is foolishness. That's stupid. That is debauchery. But, here it is, but be filled with the Spirit. So struggling in your marriage, be filled with the Spirit. Struggling with some fractured relationships, be filled with the Spirit. Pornography feels like a daily battle, be filled with the Spirit. Want to walk in freedom, be filled with the Spirit. Want to walk in grace and in patience and in consistency, then be filled with the Spirit. Which probably begs the question of all of us this morning then, okay, how do I live in the power of the Holy Spirit? How do I live in the power of Christ in me? Let me give you these things and we'll be done. Here's the first thing, and this is so very important. How do I live in the Holy Spirit's power? How do I live and and maintain or retain this restoration? Number one, first, believe by faith in Christ as Savior. Here's the simple equation. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have the Holy Spirit. But if you have Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. I have several verses that can back that up, but Romans chapter eight, verse nine comes to mind. Romans eight, nine. If you're in Christ Jesus, you have been given the Holy Spirit. You are sealed in the Holy Spirit. In other words, that that Holy Spirit will stay in you, on you, will continue to be there to give you power for, for life. And so if you're not a Christian, and I've said this, I think a lot before, you're not bad, you're just dead. And if you're not a Christian, you don't have the Holy Spirit. But if you are in Christ and you have put your faith, your trust, your life into the life of Jesus, 
you have the Holy Spirit. So how do I live in the power of the Holy Spirit? Number one, you gotta first believe by faith in Christ as your savior. Number two, being filled is a command to be obeyed. Therefore, it is possible. It's a command. Be filled with the Spirit. That's not a, a suggestion. It's not a negotiable word that the Lord has given us. It is a command, a very direct command. You, Christian, you be filled. You be filled with the Spirit. Now, I love this because it means that if God gave us the command, it is achievable, it is doable, it is possible. So for some of you maybe out there thinking, man, I just, I've struggled for so long. I've been broken for so long. Things are so fractured and messed up and wounded in my life. There's no way that, that I can be filled with the spirit. Well, you can be because God has asked you to be and even told you to be. Therefore, being filled with the spirit of God is a doable thing, an achievable thing, a very possible thing. So let's talk pragmatically then. How then do you live in that power of the Holy Spirit? Here's the third thing. Regularly confess all sin in your life. as a practice, as a discipline. Constantly confess your sin to God. Tell him where you've messed up. Admit your failures. And I would say, again, experientially, the more specific you can be with God, the better it is for your heart, for your spiritual victory. What does confession do? It wipes all the junk off of your heart. It lets light penetrate where there's been darkness for maybe several years. When you confess all of your sin to God, this is a way for the power of the Holy Spirit to, to rise up in you. And if you're not sure what to confess, let me ask you this question. What competes for the filling? If you're like, I'm not sure I have any really sins in my life, preacher guy. I just can't think of anything that's, let me just ask you this then. What's competing for the filling? because we've been told, commanded by the Spirit of God himself through the Word of God being conveyed to us this morning, we are to be filled. And if the Holy Spirit's not filling you up, then what's, what's the competition? And it could be busyness, it could be laziness, it could be our ego, it could be our self-centeredness. Whatever that might be, it might be spiritual adultery that you're chasing other loves instead of the love of God. But to be filled up, how do you live in the power of Christ in you? Regularly confess all sin in your life. Here's the fourth thing. Always obey what God has told you in his word. Because you can grieve the Holy Spirit. That's one page over Ephesians chapter four, verse 30. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. How do you grieve the Holy Spirit? How do you press aside his power? I'm not saying press him aside where he's out of your life because if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is always there. The person of the Holy Spirit is always there. The presence, the power of the Holy Spirit is always there. But if you are, if you are grieving the Holy Spirit, how do you grieve the Holy Spirit? I got one word, easy answer, disobedience. Jennifer and I were raising kids, and I guess even though they're old, we're still raising kids. I thought maybe once they got out of the house, we would no longer raise them, but some of you empty nesters understand this. I guess you'll always be raising your kids. But I remember, man, when my, my daughter, whom I love with all of my heart, unfortunately got the stiff neckness of her father, and when she'd look at me and snap her finger and roll her eyes and tell me no, I was like, whoa. 
I do believe in original sin. That's amazing. Like you're four years old and you're snapping your finger and rolling your eyes and telling me no. It grieved me when she'd disobey me. When my son, God love this 19 year old guy. I love my son. But when I gave him, you know, two things to do on Saturday, empty trash, make up your bed. You've got 16 hours, bro, to do all this. <laughs> I'm crawling to bed on a Saturday night because I got to preach the next morning. Trash is still in the house. Bed's been unmade since he woke up at 2 p.m., you know, on a Saturday. Maybe didn't have all those hours, I thought. Son, my man, you've two things is all you had to do. Two things. You did zero things. That would grieve my heart when my kids would, would disobey me. How it grieves the Holy Spirit when the children of God disobey God. So you want to live in that victory, maintain that restoration, walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, then obey, always obey what God has told you in his word. Here's the fifth and last thing. Daily ask God to fill you with the spirit. I don't know a more simple way because I really don't think this is like a complex passage to be broken apart into the nuances of the Greek. Be filled with the spirit. Therefore, I'm gonna daily ask God to fill me with the spirit. And let me say it again. The spirit's not gonna leave you. But daily you need to ask for the Holy Spirit just to fill you up to full measure that you might walk in that victory. You might maintain that restoration the Lord is bringing to you. I love this because anytime you ask God something that's already in his will, good news, he's gonna always say yes. Anytime you ask God something that's already in his will, the answer will always, always be yes. It's already yes. So when you pray that prayer, God, would you fill me up today with the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit, just, just rise up within me. Fill me. I'm going to obey everything that God's word has told me to do. I'm going to confess my sin when I fall short. That is God's will. Therefore, God will answer that request with a yes 100% of the time. So are you here today and need something restored in your life? Are there some wounds that need healing? Are there some fractures that need to be made whole? Here's what we've looked at so far. So far, restore to me, starting over. Number one, restoration begins with brokenness over our flaws, our mistakes, our sins, and light of the holiness of God. The second thing, grieve over sin, but then move forward in his grace. That's so important. Move forward in his grace. I said this last week, do not remind God of sin that he's already forgiven you of. Just move forward in the grace. The grace of God flows always to a place of repentance. Here's the third thing. You retain restoration by believing in and growing in this truth. Listen, Christian, Christ is in you. Would you stand with me, please? Let's pray together. Oh God, thank you for your word to us today. Thank you, God, for your grace the grace of your word. Holy Spirit, thanks for being our teacher today. And we would, would ask God individually this, this morning, this week, Holy Spirit, fill us up to full measure that we might walk in victory, that we might maintain, retain this restoration that you're bringing to our lives. God, it's always gonna be with, begin with brokenness and it's gonna be grief over our sin and then an acceptance of that grace and then living with this truth 
that we have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, we no longer live, but Christ now lives in us. Christ now lives in us. Christ now lives in us. In this life that we do live in the flesh, we're gonna live by faith. Faith in the Son of God who loves us and proved that by giving himself up for us. So, oh God, make all things new. Restore what's been broken. Restore what's been lost. Restore what's been wounded. Restore these things that have been fractured in our lives. And fill us to the full measure of the Spirit to walk in that victory. In Christ we pray. Amen.